The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I'd like to invite you now to open the scriptures with me as we open up to Psalm 131. Uh, we have been working through the Psalms of Ascents uh, through uh, Psalm 120 to 134 during this period. And we come now to Psalm 131, a very short psalm. And in anticipation of that, uh, let's remember that sometimes big things come in small packages, don't they? Sometimes things that are very precious to us and very valuable uh, might be very small and yet uh, are very dear. Big things can indeed come in small packages. And Psalm 131 is very much like that. Uh, it applies well to Psalm 131. I want you to know, actually, that Psalm 131 is tied for second place of the shortest of all of the Psalms. In fact, uh, three different Psalms of Ascents are all very brief, just three verses long. Psalm 131, 133, and 134 are all brief. But the shortest psalm, if you ever would want to know, is Psalm 117. It's only two verses long. Uh, but now we're in Psalm 131. It's one that is very easy to read, very quick to read, uh, but one that really takes a lifetime to really not only understand, but put into practice. Because here in Psalm 131, uh, we have a description of the Christian believer, uh, the child of God, who has learned to grow and trust the Lord in all circumstances. It teaches us this essential lesson about living as the people of God, growing and trusting in the Lord. And so this is something that you and I need to hear today very much. And so let's pray and ask God's blessing upon His Word, and then we will hear it together. Let's pray. O Lord God, by the Word of Your power, You caused all things to be created. You cast the stars into the sky, and you give the sun its light. You cause it to rise each day, and the earth to continue to rotate. You are the sovereign God, the almighty God of creation and the God of redemption. For you, Lord God, have given to us your Son. And so we pray that having been given your Son, we might cherish his grace, and so to sit at your feet, as it were, this morning. With the Scriptures open before us, we pray that the Spirit of God might descend upon us to illuminate our minds to give understanding, to illuminate our hearts to strengthen and give us faith, to illuminate our very lives that we might be transformed into the image of Jesus. And so, Lord God, we are a people ready and needing to hear you speak to us this morning. And so bless your word to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our exalted King, we ask. Amen. And now hear the Word of God from Psalm 131. I have calmed and quieted my soul, a song of a sense of David. This is the Word of God. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth 
and forevermore. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And so may He write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. One of the things that can be very helpful for us as we work through the Psalms, uh, especially ones like this that are very brief, very poignant, have a very clear picture, but can sometimes be a little bit confusing. Uh, one Christian of, of this era who actually only recently died is a man named David Pallison, and he was a professor at Westminster Seminary, and he principally taught in the area of counseling. And what he would do is he would take the Psalms and he would write what he called anti-psalms. He would take that psalm, and he would take it and then make it say the exact opposite, so as to strengthen and illuminate what the psalm says. It's sometimes helpful to see the contrary. And so I want to read to you David Pallison's anti-psalm 131. And as he writes this, he is anticipating how, in contrast to a biblical worldview, how a godless and secular worldview might understand what this is saying. So this is the anti-Psalm 131. It goes like this. Self, it's addressed to myself. Self, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself. And my eyes are haughty. I look down on other people. And I chase after things far too great and far too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally. I'm like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and my worries, and I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. You pick up on some of that and how it's a contrast to what Psalm 131 is actually saying. Psalm 131 takes us in a different direction, the opposite direction from David Pallison's anti-psalm, toward a quiet and peaceful contentment and rest that we learn as we grow in our faith and in our trust. Now, not all of us live there all the time. For many of us, we're quite noisy on the inside. We rage with lots of different emotions. And in the Bible, we learn what it looks like to grow in our faith and grow in our trust and Psalm 131 gives us a beautiful picture of this reality that we can grow into. And so what I want us to see is both a prescription and a description. There is a prescription for what needs to be true of us if we are to have this sense of contentment. So a prescription for contentment. And then secondly, a description of that contentment or a picture to describe what that looks like. Prescription and description. So... First of all, a prescription for contentment. Look at again at verse 1, how David writes these words, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, and my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Uh, maybe you remember the that story of Alice in Wonderland. You remember one of the aspects of that story was that Alice was always the wrong size. Sometimes she was too big and sometimes she was too small, but she was always discontent with her size and proportionality and always upset about it, always disoriented because of it. And if we are constantly dissatisfied and disoriented about what size we should be, 
we will also not have contentment. And so David is leading us to understand what must be true of us and prescribing for us certain attitudes of the heart and attitudes of the mind if we are to have this type of contentment. And first of all, he speaks of the heart. Uh, look again at the first half of verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised too high. What do you think he's talking about here? He's talking about pride. He's talking about pride, the overvaluing of the self and the undervaluing of other people, to be high-browed. The way the book of Proverbs speaks of this is speaks of having lofty eyes and how high the eyelids lift. And so this Hebrew parallelism in verse 1 of a heart lifted up and eyes raised too high are saying the same thing. Overly proud. Pride is one of the most frequently warned against vanities in the scriptures, isn't it? The temptation to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves by saying, I am exalted. And so this topic of pride is essential for the growing Christian believer. We, we hear about it all the time in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 5, Peter tells us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And the Lord Jesus' uh, half-brother, James, tells us in James 4.6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. And David is the one writing this psalm. King David, the shepherd boy. The young boy who was appointed king but who had to wait many years to actually ascend the throne. And if his heart was filled with pride, he could have at many opportunities grasped for what wasn't his yet. But instead, he humbled himself and trusted in the Lord's timing. Uh, when I think of humility, there's many different people that come to mind, people that, that, that I know and love. But one particular illustration I wanted to share with you as I was thinking about it this past week, because this gentleman was on a, a webinar that the EPC put on. The second General Assembly that I ever attended as a new minister, I was actually serving as a clerk for a standing committee, and so I was in charge of, of the room and taking attendance and things like that. And I noticed this particular gentleman that I didn't recognize. There were several people that I did recognize, but this one person sat off to the side, and uh, after, after the meeting was over, I went up to him because I, I assumed that he was a, a visitor. I assumed that he was just observing, and I introduced myself to him, and I said, welcome, and he responded and, and said, hi, Zach, I'm Rufus. And uh, I had no idea who this guy was at the time, uh, and if I had known a little bit more about the denomination, I would have recognized that I just greeted and welcomed the pastor of the largest church in the denomination with a weekly attendance of over 7,000 people in Memphis, Tennessee. I had no idea who he was. And he really didn't seem to care who he was because he wasn't at all offended at the notion that I thought he was just an observer and a guest. And I welcomed him, and he simply said, Hi, Zach, I'm Rufus. He didn't say, I'm Reverend Dr. Rufus uh, Smith, the pastor of the largest church in the denomination, and how dare you insult me. He just greeted me back in a picture of humility that I'll never forget. And David is here saying that we are to be those whose hearts are not too lifted up and whose eyes are not so lifted up and flattered within ourselves. He's talking about pride. But he's also talking about, in the second half of verse 1, not only how our heart can be proud, but how our mind can be presumptuous. Look at the second half of Verse 1, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Uh, where the first half is talking about pride, this is talking about 
presumptuous arrogance, an overestimation and overreaching of myself that assumes far too much about my own knowledge and wisdom. And the book of Proverbs also speaks to this same thing. In Proverbs 26, verse 12, it says this, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If we are overly wise in our own eyes. And David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now that might seem strange at the beginning, right? Because uh, we are those who are encouraged to grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge. And David is not here saying uh, we shouldn't learn and we shouldn't grow and we shouldn't uh, search God's wisdom and truth to grow deeper in those things. He's not saying that. He's saying that we as the creature should know that when it comes to wisdom and when it comes to knowledge, compared to the Almighty God, there are things that are out of our depth. There is wisdom and there is knowledge that is not for us to possess. As Moses records the, the word of God from Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are things that you and I do not and will not know. And indeed, shouldn't seek out with a demanding sense that we must know. So he's saying, I am not preoccupied about things that don't belong to me. And I am not preoccupied about things that I don't have the power to change. Which is really the, the problem with us when we worry, isn't it? We worry about things. We worry about things that we cannot possibly change. About things that we have absolutely no control. And Jesus is constantly warning us about that very thing. That we shouldn't worry about things beyond our control, beyond our power to change. The pointlessness of worrying to be consumed by the cares of the world. And David is praying, Lord, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Which is saying, I'm not preoccupied with things that I can't change. I might not understand what's happening in my life all the time, which is true of us, isn't it? We don't always understand what's happening. We might not be able to give sense to the things that are going on around us, and we might be filled with distress or trouble or anxiety or anger or bitterness. We can't control the problem, but we can control our response to the problem. And David is saying, I'm not being presumptuous or arrogant. I am called not to understand everything, but to trust. And this is the word that I think helps us here, that you and I are not called to comprehend all of the mysteries of the infinite universe, but to trust that the God who made that universe, He does comprehend. And to humble ourselves with this picture and you and I understand that. We, we operate this way. We don't, might not think of it as it relates to the Lord because you and I, not being uh, aerospace engineers nor pilots, still get on planes because we understand that there's somebody in the cockpit who knows what they're doing. And even if flying gives you a bit more anxiety than the next person, there is still a sense that we entrust ourselves. And if we are able to entrust ourselves to an earthly pilot, how much more can you entrust yourself to the God who is the creator of knowledge. Consider the infinite expanse of God's limitless knowledge. He made knowledge. There is nothing that He doesn't know. There is no knowledge or wisdom that is not present within His divine mind at all times. He doesn't need to access knowledge in order to remember something. He simply knows all things. And it is to this God that David is praying. 
O Lord. Maybe it's helpful for you to think of it in this way. Uh, One Christian thinker from the 11th century named Anselm, he wrestled with this. There are things that, that, that could be known that I don't know. How should I relate to these things? And he prayed this. He prayed, I do not seek, O Lord, to penetrate thy depths. I by no means think my intellect is equal to them, but I long to understand in some degree thy truth, which my heart believes and loves. For I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe so that I might understand. That is to say that faith comes long before a growing understanding. And trusting the Lord when we don't know what's happening is a wonderful mark of a growing Christian character, knowing that God knows what He is doing. And throughout our lives, we have evidences of this so that when we face another circumstance, we can go back in the record of God's faithfulness to us and maybe not be so anxious this next time to know that God knows what He's doing. It's a faith that seeks understanding. And David is saying, this helps me. I'm not proud. I'm not arrogant. I'm not presumptuous. I'm trusting. So this is the prescription for that. But then secondly, in verse 2, we have a description of it. And this is, I think, the most beautiful part of this psalm. David is describing this picture of contentment in verse 2. Look at it again when he says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is David again, the same man who compared himself to a sheep under God the shepherd's watchful eye in Psalm 23, now uh, writes, as it were, of himself as a child. As a child in the care of his mother. Now, I I can acknowledge that there's a little bit of confusion actually in verse 2. What exactly does this mean? And what is the purpose of the metaphor of the weaned child? And you might be interested to know that actually biblical scholars debate over the exact purpose of of this verse because there's a debate here. Is, Is this supposed to be a picture of a satisfied child on his mother's breast who has already been nursed and it's a, it's a picture of present satisfaction, or does the, the sense of weaning bring out this idea of a child that's been completely weaned off of its mother and is totally dependent, and which has an emphasis then on growth and maturity? So is it more of a present satisfaction, or is it more of a past satisfaction that has grown into maturity? Well, this is sometimes where these debates aren't that helpful, isn't it? Because regardless, the picture is the same, isn't it? A picture of satisfaction. A hungry child on their mother's lap, agitated and rooting around, squirming anxiously. A child that if he doesn't get fed right now, he thinks he's going to die. I must need food now. Immediate attention, immediate satisfaction. They want to be satisfied. And what we witness in children when we see that is actually the same thing that's actually true of us even as adults. When emotions, those same emotions are placed on us, it can be crippling. Anxiety and depression and anger and jealousy and discontent and confusion. We might not act like the child that is crying out, thinking that if I don't get this now, I'm going to die. And yet, those emotions sometimes rage in us. That same sense. 
The child thinks, if I don't get food now, I'm going to starve to death. And the contrast is what David is saying, isn't it? The child who has been calmed and quieted. The child who knows, I'm going to be fed. I'm going to be cared for. It's going to be okay. It's a beautiful little picture, isn't it? It's very tender. The child has learned, I'm loved, and I'm cared for, and so it's going to be okay. And David is here saying that his own soul has needed to learn the lesson when you have this picture of the weaned child. And David's saying, that's how my soul is within me, that I know that God's going to care for me. I know that he's going to watch over me and protect me and feed me. I know he's going to give me what I need. And so I've learned to trust him and quiet, not rage so much within myself, but instead to trust, to be, as he says in verse 2, calmed and quieted within my own soul, knowing that the Lord will care for me, learning to trust in His providence. When you and I find ourselves raging within ourselves, we need to learn what David is saying here. Because, again, just like an infant roots around and needs food, isn't it something that, that when they start to get upset, right, it's like it just grows sometimes the volume. They get all worked up about being upset, and next thing you know, it goes to a whole new level, and we do that too. We just don't do it so much so outwardly. And, of course, this, this tender imagery is before my eyes very much so in these days. As I think about our son and oftentimes needing to walk him up and down the hallway at night, just holding him and saying, it's okay. Shh. Quieting him. And that's the picture. And it's beautiful, isn't it? In the 1700s, a woman named Katrina von Schlegel wrote a hymn about that very thing. When she said, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. Doesn't that sound like verse 1? Leave to thy God. When David says, I don't occupy myself with things too marvelous for me. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. And David is saying, this is what it looks like to learn to trust the Lord in this way, to grow in reliance upon him, and so be quieted and calmed by his presence. And that's what David's been saying and so notice how he concludes from something of a reflection of his own growth, speaking about his own soul, to then turning outward in verse 3, saying, verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. David says, everybody else, all of you, he turns to his people, he turns to you, and he turns to me, and he gives us this exhortation, fight against Fight against your pride and fight against your presumptuous arrogance and learn to rest in God's providence and in His care by saying, people of God, hope in the Lord. Hope in this God, for He is worthy to be trusted. Don't hope in your circumstances. Don't hope in yourself. Don't hope in your own resources, but hope in the Lord. Hope in your Father in heaven. Hope in the Son of God. Hope in the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who is dwelling within you. Hope in the Lord. And David said this 3,000 years ago. That is still just as true today, isn't it? That you and I are those who need to learn to grow in this trust 
to grow in this hope so that we might be like this picture of a calmed and quieted child resting in the care of our Father. And when the storms of our circumstances swirl around us, and they will, when our hearts rage within us, when our minds rage within us, these are things that seek to rob that peace and disquiet our souls. People of God, remember who our Savior is. Remember the Lord Jesus, the one who quiets the storms, and the disciples ask, who is this that is able to calm even the wind and the waves? The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who comforts us in His grace, and as it were, comes beside us to say, shh, you're going to be okay. I'm watching over you. You are cared for, and you are loved. Trust me. And this is our God. So let us grow in this trust. Let us grow in this faith today. And may we prove God's faithfulness through that growing trust. Amen. We're going to sing this psalm together now to the tune of I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. And so join with me as we sing back God's Word to Him in worship, singing Psalm 131. My heart's not proud, nor haughty are my eyes. I don't chase after matters great or things for me to wise. But I have stilled my soul in quietness and rest like a weaned child in peace does lie upon its mother's breast oh israel now hope forever in the people hope in him both now and evermore. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for this tender picture that we have in the scriptures of you as a father gently caring for us as a weaned child on its mother's lap. And so Lord God, move in our hearts that sense of trust and that sense of faith that looks to you with complete confidence that you are able to supply all that we need. For you surely have done so in the gospel of your Son, provided not only for our sins, but for all we need in this life to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And so, Lord, be at work in us to transform us into the image of Christ, that we might more declare the glories of your name. And so help us, Lord, to trust you, for you are worthy of this trust. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.